Shalom. I am Rabbi Michael Pont, and this is For the Love of Judaism. And today we have a very special guest. I am here with Cheryl Kempner. Cheryl is a wife, a mother of three, and a retired attorney here in Marlboro, New Jersey. And in light of her mother's dementia, she wrote a book combining her poetry with her mother's artwork, a real labor of love. This is a collection that raises awareness about dementia and Alzheimer's, a truly awful, awful disease. So Cheryl, welcome to the program. Thank you for spending some time with us today. And I can't wait to talk about your book, which is entitled Remember Me. Thank you, Rabbi. It's been a pleasure to be here. So Cheryl, tell me, when did you first notice changes in your mom's condition then? And when did you first suspect that maybe she had Alzheimer's? Actually, it was about eight years ago. We were on a woman's trip. My sister, my mother, Ari and I, Ari's my daughter, we went to Woodstock and we were shopping and we went into a candle store. My mother saw wind chimes that she wanted to buy, but she decided not to buy them. So we went into another store and my sister said to her, do you want to go back and buy the wind chimes? My mother responded, what wind chimes? So right off the bat, my sister knew that there was a problem and she left the store and my sister started crying and she said, we need to do something. Now, my sister was noticing problems previous to this. I just noticed in hindsight now that I think about it, maybe seven years before that, our conversations were not as fluid. I didn't speak to her as often. And then I realized like maybe seven or eight years ago, she wanted to plan my father's birthday party. And she came to us and said, I can't plan this party. I need help. My mom never needed help putting together a holiday, a party. So that's when it all kind of came together. So we're kind of at the seven year mark, but I I'm thinking this is going back at least 15 years. Wow. So that's that's a long time. And thinking about your mother, I mean, this is the person, you know, raised you and took care of you and bought your clothes and planned all your birthday parties. And then all of a sudden you're starting to think maybe I'm going to need to be the one to step in to take care of my mother. It's like a, a role reversal. So that must have been emotional. I tried and my parents didn't want any help. I specifically asked my dad, what can I do to help you? And he was like, nothing. We have this covered. And so I went and I volunteered at the manor in the assisted living and I dealt with Alzheimer's dementia patients. And that was to prepare myself. And thank God I did because I am so well prepared and so well versed in the different stages of Alzheimer's. And what I was able to do to keep my mother, quote unquote, living was basically from everything I learned while I was volunteering at the banner. Now, that's interesting. And so the manor is a local facility that deals with people with Alzheimer's. Yes. And they let you volunteer there to help, you know, to work with the patients. And that's how you learned more about this disease. I kind of feel like an expert at this point. And I'm prepared for each stage as it comes. So it's not a surprise when she couldn't swallow when we have to puree her food or when she couldn't get out of her bed or what to use while she's in the shower. And I also learned some things like if I gave her a baby doll, that was fine, or the stuffed animals that we played preschool puzzles. So I learned all this when I was volunteering and we've applied all this to my mother's care. That's terrific. So you you did this mitzvah, you did this this wonderful thing at the manor, helping people who really need someone, but you were also doing it for you to get you ready for what was going on with your mom. It, yeah, it really prepared me for what was to come. And I think it was with that in mind, I'm able to help our caregiver and help my father get through this disease. That's terrific. You know, so that's one of the things that you did to prepare for helping your mom. And people do lots of things, right? They look into hiring caregivers. They, you know, they need to get the house ready. But something else that you did that maybe not everyone does is you wrote this book, as I mentioned before, called Remember Me. What inspired you to write a book about what was going on with your mother? 
I think I always wanted to write a book. I always wrote poetry to express my feelings. There are some poems in this book that go back to when I was 16 years old, when my grandmother passed away. I talk about my grandmother because it was very wise words of Rabbi Teplitz, who said at my grandmother's funeral, your grandmother is just a body and she still has a soul. And I think I went through life always realizing that there was a soul and there's a lot more to the body. And so I wrote a lot of poetry and a lot of dark poems as I was trying to get through my grandmother's death. And then five years ago, I tried to journey how I was feeling about my mother and I decided to write poetry. So every time I would visit and we'd have another event or another happening, I would come home and I would write some poetry to go with that. And it became a culmination of work that I'm very proud of. Ah, so you would have a visit with your mother, something would happen that maybe would spark a thought, it would inspire you. And when you got home, you would start to write, compose poetry about your feelings. Yes. Okay. All right. That's terrific. You know, I wish that people could see the cover of the book, which is really, you know, I've looked through it. It's beautiful. The title is really unique because your book is called Remember Me, but the me is a part of the word remember. So it's R-E-M-E-M-B-E-R and the, the me is highlighted. So why did you make the title like that, Remember Me, but the, the word me is part of the word remember? That was all very thought out. The title was Remember, and I saw the me in it. It's a double entendre. Like, I think that I want my mother to be remembered, but I also want to be remembered by my mother. And someplace down deep, I think that she really remembers me and remembers us. Anybody who has a parent or a loved one going through this disease wants to know that they are somehow still being remembered in some fashion by their loved one. Yeah, and... With our families, you know, we're not like islands. I mean, we are a part of our families. Our our parents impact and influence us so much. And we influence them and we influence our children. Like it's all, that's how family is. You know, we grow and we change based on our interactions, especially with our family members. So I love that the me is part of remember because it's a reminder to me that we're all so closely connected. So your mother's disease, you know, had a real impact on you and on your kids and, you know, your entire family. I don't know. I just feel like there's this whole family togetherness and warmth and connection just in that, like you said, the double entendre of the title. I just, I think it's beautiful. Thank you. And I also think that it has brought our family together, Uh which we might, which is kind of odd. I mean, our Kempner family is very close, but I think it's also brought my father closer together, my mother, my sister. We've all become much closer. And I've seen my children rise to the occasion as young adults, and they show some empathy and such support in helping my parents. And even our caregiver is now part of our family because right. we're just trying to be so loving and caring. Ari quit varsity soccer so that she can come with me three days a week to see my mom while she was still up and she was still verbal. And my mom hasn't been verbal for two years now. So it's very difficult to sit with somebody that's sitting all day and that's not communicating. Oh, yeah. Right. I can imagine. And the boys, they help with the wheelchair. They help make conversation around her. They like to talk to her. They like to throw stuffed animals at her. We try to get her to catch. And every time Ethan walks into the room, she kind of flirts with him. So they have their own little relationship going on. And my husband's been a great source of support when it comes to my dad and helping out with the house. So we've really come together as a unit. 
So, I mean, I mean, I've, I've known you now for a long time as, as your rabbi here at Marlboro Jewish. So I know your family, maybe not everybody does your husband's Mark and tell us your, your three kids names and just how, how old they are. Just so we get a sense. Jared is 25. Ethan is 23 and Ari is a girl and she's 19. Gotcha. Okay. So these are, like you said, these are young adults. Right. And that's nice to hear family crises, if you will, do help us all. It gives us something to rally around. And like you said, your kids have risen to the occasion, which I, knowing them, I, you know, doesn't surprise yeah, me they at would all. Go to, we would have Sunday night dinners. We'd all go together. Nobody ever came up with an excuse. They don't sit on the couch on their phones. Everybody is hands in, Good. involved, and they've really proven themselves to be very fine human beings, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see what people, like with your kids especially, you see who they really are in situations like exactly. this. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's beautiful. So, I mean, I've never written a book before. I don't know. What's the process like to write a book like this? How long did it take? Just tell us about that, the process. So, as I said, I've been writing this book for many years and I've just been keeping copies of my work. And I self-published this book, but I had an editor and a formatter and they helped me through the entire process. I had all the artwork was done, all the poetry was done. I already prepared the cover. I just needed somebody to help put it all together and send it out. And so I found myself a publishing company that would do that. And we sent it out and here's what we have, the final copy. Now, I mean, obviously this is, this is something that's very personal. It's about your mother and about your family, but you didn't just write the book for you. How do you hope that this volume will help other people who maybe are in the same situation that you are? That's an excellent question. I think that was the goal of the book all along. I wanted to help other people. I want to give those that are afflicted with this disease a voice. And unlike some other illnesses, Parkinson's or cancer or celiac disease, these victims cannot speak for themselves. So it's totally on the caregivers. And I feel like there's some kind of a stigma attached to it because it affects the brain that maybe there's a mental illness component to it, which has right. no relation to. Right. And I find that a lot of people that have somebody with this disease don't want to willingly talk about it. And I'm a very open person and my life is an open book. Right. So I want to help anyone that is struggling and that wants to talk about it. A couple of people have reached out to me that I don't even know on social media just to talk about their family situations. And I even have a colleague from over 20 years ago that just told me that her husband was diagnosed with early onset. So I'm hoping it starts a dialogue. If not, I'm here for anyone that wants to talk about it. Right. And that's a good point that people who have Alzheimer's at some point, they might not be able to to speak, you know, basic form of communication. So, you know, you were literally your mother's voice, but also her advocate, of course. And it must be really hard to talk about something like Alzheimer's. Like you said, I, I agree with you. I think there is a stigma with a disease of the brain. I can only imagine the emotional toll you know, that it's taken on you, that it takes on the family caregivers, and not to mention the financial toll, the care that's required. It, you know, that's a financial burden that families face, I'm sure. Well, we've been very blessed. My parents had long-term care insurance, but we're heading down this road with another part of our family, and uh -huh. they're not going to be so blessed. And then they're going to have to resort to Medicaid, and there's really no in-between, especially if you have no property or assets. 
And I feel really bad for a lot of people because that's also dependent on the type of care you're going to receive. And we've received the best care. And I just think that this needs to be spoken about. I also want to go back a second. I also think part of the problem is this is affecting the older generation and they don't ask for help and they didn't talk about anything. And so maybe our generation would more willingly talk about Alzheimer's. Right. But I feel like those of the older generation, the 80 year olds, my dad would never ask for any kind of emotional or financial support. This is another reason I want to have a conversation because I want people to be able to talk about it, even the elderly, because I feel like they don't really have an opportunity to express their frustrations. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think you're right. In years past, you didn't ask for help, right? You pull yourself up by your bootstraps, kind of that kind of attitude. And things have changed. And I think in this case, definitely for the better. You don't have to face this alone. We should speak out. You know, we should look for help. We should look for support. And when we do that, I think so many people are more than willing to come to your aid. Yes. So I'm hoping that more people of my generation who are now in the caregiver role will ask for help or at least have the conversation. There are a lot of poems in this book that relate to all different aspects of Alzheimer's. A lot of people talk about their family members wandering or talking to somebody that's dead and that's not in the room. So we had a situation where my mother left the house and was looking for her boyfriend and my sister had to go out and bring her back in. And I wrote a poem about what must my father feel knowing that my mother's looking for a boyfriend who knows who this boyfriend is. She left the house wandering and I think... Maybe 80% of the people have some kind of experience that they can relate to that, whether it's a wanderer, whether it's talking to somebody that's deceased or talking to a made up person. So I think there's a poem in here that everybody that's going through this can relate to. Right. So let's talk about more about the book. It's split into three sections. So can you describe each section? So the first chapter is entitled Through My Eyes. Yeah. And that's basically the perspective through my mother's eyes. Like what must the person that have the disease be thinking and feeling? They want to be remembered. I even have a poem in there entitled Remember. And it it basically starts off by saying, please be my memory, my eyes, my guide. Please be my memory and remember I'm wise. So I want the person to be heard and that people would remember the person. And also let's put ourselves in their shoes and think how they must feel. The second chapter is through their eyes, and that's basically through the caregiver's eyes. I have Uh a poem written on the caregiver's behalf through the eyes of a caregiver, such as our caregiver, Patricia, who's amazing, and even a poem written through my father's eyes. And I don't think my father's ever read the poem. I never gave it to him to read, but I just can't imagine living with somebody for almost 59 years, and they don't communicate anymore. They don't talk. You had all these life plans and dreams, and it's amounted to sitting in the house and watching TV all day. Yeah. And then the The final chapter is through my eyes, and that's a kind of a wrap up between through the patient's eyes, through the caregiver's eyes, and then dealing with my own internal struggles. And that chapter is what about me? So what about me? Like I'm the child, I'm still here, but I have a mother, but I don't have a mother. Oh, right. Interesting. Yeah. So it's also like, what about the child whose parent is here, but really isn't? And it's all encompassing. That's interesting that you say the parent is here, but really isn't. And that gets to the essence of what's so devastating about this disease, that memory is essential to our humanity. When you can't remember your past, you can't remember just the basics of who you are. It's like your humanity is just ripped away from you. So that's, I really can relate to what you're saying that your mom is physically there, but you know, if she can't remember 
And then of course, if she can't speak, if she can't express herself, another just pillar of what it means to be human, you have to work much harder to just get to her as a human being. Exactly. So just to get something, a response. So we've resorted to giving her a doll and she'd say baby boy. Now she doesn't speak anymore. We would sing happy birthday with her because she remembered that. We would go over in Shabbat and light candles, but now she really can't speak. She can say hello and she speaks in gibberish. So it's very difficult. So when you have unresolved issues or with your parent, you want to talk about them or you have any issue you want to talk to your mom about and she's there, but she really, she isn't. She isn't there to give you the guidance that you might be looking for. Right. And yeah, if there are unresolved issues, you can't have a conversation. No. Right. It's. And besides, you don't want to upset them. Right. Cheryl, I just want to thank you so much again for being here. This is really an incredible accomplishment, I think. Like I said, I'm looking at the book right now. The artwork from your mother is beautiful. What is so great about this book is that you show the progression of her artwork. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, thank you. I don't know where the idea came from. I know she has all the amazing pictures are hanging in a room in Florida. And I was looking at the pictures one day, and one of my mother's obsessions was coloring. Once the disease started to progress, she would sit with her adult coloring books and just scribble and scribble and color in the books. And I'll just, as an aside, my father got very frustrated with her coloring all day. And he would say, do something else, do something else. And little did he know that this was the best she could do. And this was the best that it was going to be at that moment in time. Because what we would do now for her to go back and just sit and color all day, you know, we'd give anything for. So... I took her artwork and then I came up with an idea. What if Ari and I tried to have her recreate her drawings now that she's progressed further along in the disease? And so we purposely sat down with her. She had an amazing picture of sunflowers, so we tried to draw flowers. There's a picture of a house that we found from 1974. Then there were later pictures from of the houses. I think most of this artwork is from the 2000s. And then Ari and I tried to have her draw a house. And some of the work we'd help her with and some of the work she did on her own. And as we progressed through the book, there's one piece that she went to an adult daycare. And that was really just gluing and sticking together like you would do in preschool. Right. And then finally, it became where she was just coloring in the coloring book, and that's all she was able to do. So I was hoping that by showing the decline with her artwork, that people might have a visual and understand the decline in cognitive function through the progression of this disease. Yeah, I got it right away. You know, because you can see at the beginning of the book, I mean, it's these gorgeous colors and there's, you know, there's contour, there's contrast with the, with the art. And then you get near the end of the book and it's like you said, it, you know, it's like a small child. Exactly. And that's how you have to treat them at some point in time as a small child because they regress to preschool days. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Cheryl, in the Jewish tradition, we actually, we very much venerate our elders You know, there's a verse in Leviticus. It's actually in this week's Torah portion, Kedoshim, that says you are supposed to rise up before the hoary head, you know, someone with gray hair. In Hebrew, mipnei seva takum. And you're supposed to honor the elderly person. V'hadarta pnei zaken. Honor the elderly face. And then the Torah commands us, v'yareta me'elohecha, which means, and you shall fear your God I am the Lord. And I think that last part is because it would be tempting for us to ignore people who are elderly. 
you know, because, you know, they're older and they move slower and they can be high maintenance, they can be fetchy. It would be tempting for us to just want to sort of push them aside, you know, and that happens in our society. A lot of elderly people, sometimes they just get put in facilities taken care of by others. And that's sad. And that's not what our tradition commands us, demands of us. Our tradition demands of us that we honor our elderly, that we love them, that we respect them and we care for them. And your story is so powerful because that's exactly what you've done for your mother. How do you think, how have your, how has your connection to Judaism helped you in this journey of taking care of your mom? That's a really good question. I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. And at some point in time, if you believe the reason appears itself. Uh-huh. And I, I think that she's made a sacrifice for the sake of everybody else on other family issues. And it has brought us all closer together. I think my relationship with my father has changed. My relationship with my mother has changed. I see purity in my children and my husband that I don't know if I would have seen that before. I also think that part of the problem is that we don't respect the elderly enough in this society as they do in other societies. And I'm hoping that this book, again, brings a part of people to have a discussion about what to do and how to care for the elderly. I also decided that I was going to have no regrets when it came to my parents. And I think that is what that portion might also be saying is that we shouldn't have any regrets. So I wanted to do 110% that I could do for my parents to make sure that when the time comes, I knew that I did everything and that I would have no regrets that I would have to live with. And I think they appreciate everything that we'd have done for them. Yeah. And that having no regrets, I think that's also part of the the wisdom behind the fifth commandments of the 10 commandments, which is to honor your father and your mother, this is part of how we honor them. That commandment doesn't end when they're, you know, elderly and needy and frail. That commandment is lifetime. And so um, you are embodying living that commandment 24-7, all the time, and not just begrudgingly, God forbid, but with love and commitment to both your parents, but especially to, to your mother with this terrible disease. And we try to celebrate every holiday and include her in every holiday. And we tried to light Shabbat candles every Friday night when she was able to light candles with us and we would do it around her. And we bring her to our house to celebrate Passover and we engage with her. We put her on the mask for the 10 plagues. We really surround her with Judaism, of what she probably knows and hopefully remembers. That's beautiful. If I could put you on the spot, is there one particular Shabbat or holiday memory in dealing with your mom's illness that really, that stands out maybe that, that helped her or that was really inspiring for you and your kids? I think a couple of years ago when Ari and I would go to light candles and we would light candles and we'd bring challah and we'd give her some grape juice and she actually remembered the prayers when she didn't remember much else. That was very inspiring. And we would keep repeating the prayers with her because she remembered she could she could finish saying Lahadlik Nashel Shabbat, which was very inspiring for us. Oh, that's great. That's great. And that I and I believe that. That's that's the power of ritual. That's what's so beautiful about our tradition and any faith tradition in general is that it's the feeling of the moment, the warmth of the candles, the the smells, the taste of the wine, all of that is mixed in 
to help spur memories and particular feelings. And it sounds like that happened for your mom. That's what a gift that you and Ari did for your mom in that moment. Thank you. Well, again, I, I think this is a very powerful book. I can't believe that there aren't more books like this on the market, but I know that this book, if people will get it, I think is really going to help not even just people who are struggling with Alzheimer's, but with all kinds of, you know, debilitating diseases, you know, that afflict our senior citizens. I I totally agree. I think this is very pertinent to any disease or illness or any person that is a caretaker. They can relate to parts of this book. Yeah. All right, everybody. Again, Cheryl Kempner, local author and now becoming celebrity, maybe. (laughs) Right. We'll see. We'll see. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being on the program, Cheryl. Thank you. That was Cheryl Kempner. She wrote this incredible book we've been talking about. It's called Remember Me, An Alzheimer's Journey Through Art and Poetry. It is on Amazon. It's on barnesandnoble.com. It's on Goodreads. I would highly, highly recommend it. Not just if you're thinking about Alzheimer's, but just if you have a mom and you want to explore the mother-daughter relationship and you want to look at really inspiring poetry and beautiful art If you're struggling with illness of any kind, I mean, this volume, I think, is really going to be helpful for you. I love it. I'm so glad that I have a copy. And by the way, I sent a copy to my mother for her birthday, which was just last week. And the reason I did that is because my mother had a special relationship with my grandmother, her mother, because my grandmother also had Alzheimer's disease and my mother was her main caretaker. And I saw, it was like I was looking in a mirror. I saw, you know, a lot of what my mom went through in this book. And I spoke to my mother about it and it meant so much to her. She's so appreciative of what Cheryl has done to put her thoughts, you know, into a volume with this beautiful artwork, really describing the relationship between her and her mom framed by this, again, this really debilitating disease. And part of why I asked Cheryl to be on the program today is because uh, this Sunday is Mother's Day, and I thought this was a perfect uh, time to have Cheryl on to talk about her relationship with her mom. And in her book, one of her poems is entitled Mother's Day 2020, and Cheryl is going to recite the poem for us right now. So Cheryl, go ahead. Mother's Day 2020. Happy Mother's Day to my mom. I wish you a life of peace and no harm. To come to you at this time when troubles seem to want to shine. But we are here for you to know, despite it all, you will grow into the person you're meant to be, your soul of beauty for all to see. That you are a mother, a grandmother too. Life is more than what this disease can do. It can take your mind, but not your soul, not your heart or end goal, which is to be with your loved ones now. Life comes full circle, but we do not bow out of the dreams that you have made, although you think they will fade. But we all know the dreams that are. We are here for you, near and far, to hold you up when you can't stand, to make sure that you will always land in the arms of someone you love, a sign of peace from up above. Amen. 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 It can take your mind, but not your soul. I love that, and I think that is totally true. Um, So again, everybody... This has been a great episode here with Cheryl Kempner. Everyone just have a great day and peace out.